Our scripture today is from Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. <clears throat> Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The word of the Lord. We are in part 11 of our series on um, Christ-centered marriage and singleness. And so we're getting toward the end here. Um, two weeks ago, we, we, we had a message, um, a big message and a hard message about that very complex and difficult matter of sex. And last week, um, Pastor Young gave us a really good message um, on this very difficult subject of headship and the authority structure in marriage. And today, today I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to try to do the impossible. I'm going to really try to talk about marriage. I mean, I'm going to talk about gender. It is a, a deeply confused subject in our culture. What, what is a man? What is a woman? And particularly now, I can't say everything about what is a man, what is a woman. Certainly you can't say it in one message. And it probably deserves, its, it deserves a whole series but today I'm going to say just certain key things, and particularly with respect to what does it mean to be a man and a woman in marriage? What is, what is masculinity and femininity, and how, as we embrace masculinity and femininity, does it help make marriage flourish as God desired, as God um, intended? And so that's the subject today. It's a big one. It's a hard one. And I'm going, to, I'm going to throw a lot at you. And so let's get at it. In three parts. Part one, gender as gift. Gender is a gift. Um, I think we tend to see it as, as burdensome or, um, or limiting or even annoying or just confusing. Because mostly uh, we're not even sure what is it. <laughs> does it uh, is, uh, is masculinity liking football? Is it driving a truck? Is it liking guns? Is that what masculinity is? Is femininity, is, a, is, it, um, is, it, a, is it making things smell nice and liking pink? Uh, that, it doesn't say that in the Bible, but um, that seems to be how our culture seems to um, shape it. And then, of course, there are women who like football. There are men, yes, there are actually men who, who like making things smell good, Okay. And they know how to, um, you know, make clothes look good, all right? I mean, most men know, but, you know, some men do. Are those men not masculine, all right? And so many in our culture would probably say, no, they're not. But it doesn't say that in the Bible. <laughs> and so first, what is gender as gift? Part two, gender in marriage. I want to talk a little about gender in marriage. And in this particular passage, um, it actually says a lot. It says the, the wife act a certain way, the husband act a certain way. But particularly today, I want to sit on this portion of why the husband is commanded to love his wife, but the wife is commanded to respect her husband. Those are different. You notice, it's strange. Wives love your husband. Well, of course. I mean, you can't make the scripture silly like that, all right? Uh, of course, she's supposed to love her husband. But there's something special about the way she's supposed to love her husband, and respect is crucial. And um, I'm going to say something about husbands loving your wife, um, because that's, that seems really obvious, but I don't think it's obvious in certain ways. Okay, so that's part two, gender in marriage. And then part three, the fullness of the divine image. 
Actually, there's something inside of marriage that's supposed to make us more and more like God. It's supposed to shine something about the beauty of God, and it's something that you can't do by yourself. It's something that the, as the husband and the wife, as they, as they come together, and the gender aspect of it matters, as they come together, it shines out the brightness of the beauty of the divine image. And so that's part three, the fullness of the divine image. Let's go to part one. Gender as gift. Now, um, I, I need to take you to some scriptures because for you to understand why Paul tells um, husbands to love your wife and why wives are commanded to respect your um, husband, you need to go right back to the beginning of the Bible. So if you have your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to blitz through two important scripture passages. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So in, in chapter 1, it's this famous passage uh, God makes all this. He makes everything. He makes the heavens. He makes the earth. He makes light. He makes night. Um, and then he makes all these different creatures. And then you get a ch- uh, verse 27. And then it says this. So God, well, actually, let's go to verse um, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. It doesn't say let us make a man. It says let us make man. And let them have dominion, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Then he goes on to say this, verse 27. Very, very important verse, which many of you have at least heard and at least you kind of know it's there, but it's tremendously important. And by the way, only Christianity or at least only Jews and Christians believe this, okay? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. So human beings are made in the image of God. We're not just some kind of like nature accident somehow, you know, and then some genetic accident and somehow we're smarter than all the other creatures, okay? But here's the important part that's relevant for today. Male and female, he created them. So, so here's the part, first part I want to say. How is gender a gift? Human beings have the gift of being made in the image of God, but the man is not enough to be in the image of God. The woman is not being in the the image of God. Masculinity and femininity both image God differently, yet each on its own incompletely. Let me say that again. They both image God together in its fullness, but each on its own incompletely. Does that make sense? So if that's the case, that means that there's something special in femininity that apart from femininity, we don't get about the beauty of God. Does that make sense? And that way, God is gifted. So let's just say it a whole other different way. Women have a special gift that a man does not have. A woman has a special gift to shine off something of the glory and beauty of God that a man doesn't have and actually can't have, and then vice versa. That a man doesn't have, has, he has a gift of masculinity. He has a gift of his godness, let's put it that way. He has a gift of God's glory that a woman doesn't have, and so masculinity is a gift to women. It's a gift to the world. It's a gift to women. And this is a very, very important in the world itself, but it's especially important in marriage because here in marriage, masculinity and femininity in its deepest form, in, in this male and female imagery, because it, in, in, at this most intense version of relationship, this is where male and female, or let's call it man and woman gender, gender is played out in its deepest way. Now, let me make a note about um, language. Um, our culture tends to make a distinction, which I think is a good one, and, I, and I'm going to use it too. In our culture, they tend to say, we tend to say male and female is about sex. That is the sexes, right? And what is male and female? It's something that is bequeathed to you by nature. So it's a natural thing. It's, a, it's like it's something that's, that, that you don't really control it is a, you're born male or you're born female. I know in our culture that's, uh, that's being increasingly controverted. All right? But um, 
But I, I, honestly, I think that's just delusional. You're trying to de, you know, define something. We don't know if this person's male or female, and they can decide whoever they want to be. And you're taking literally some small portion of less than 1% of the people and trying to break what is obvious to everybody else. Okay? So by nature, we're either male and female, and that's a language of sex. But there is a different language that we use. What, is, what does it mean to be a man or to be masculine? What does it mean to be a, be a woman or to be feminine? Feminine, masculine, man, woman, that's language of gender. And what is that? That, it, that we're more than just male. <laughs> does that make sense? A man is more than just male. A man is something that, you know, you can see that a boy is masculine, but he's not man. <laughs> that makes sense? He has to grow into something else. And it is also shaped by culture and wisdom and, and maturity. And so that is a category that we call gender, and that's really what I'm going to sit on today. I'm not as um, interested in arguing about sex, although obviously one of the authors that I read, uh, um, a really um, bright pastor, a guy named Sam Andriotis, he wrote a book called Engendered. And I, I wish I could talk to you about that book, but I just want to give you that book plug. All right? it's, a really, it's one of the deepest books I've, I've read on this subject. And he talks about this, gender versus sex. And so that, that's a point I want to make about language. But here in the Bible, male and female, and then male and female leads to man and woman. Male and female sex leads to man and woman gender. And the fullness of, which is all of the image of God. Now, let me make two points here before I get to the next passage. First point, if male and female both together image God, do you understand that before you even got out of chapter 1 out of the Bible, absolutely, and it doesn't use the word equal, but it's there. <laughs> it's there. Can you see it? That men and women, or let's put it this, the masculine and the feminine has absolute equality of worth. So today in our culture, we, we tend to think that whoever has more power, so, you know, if men go out and work and then they make more money, or, it, throughout, or they're, more physically, they're physically stronger so they can, you know, physically bully women. You know that the average man has something like four or five times the upper body strength as the average woman? So you can take a wimpy man and he could literally physically maul an even relatively strong woman. You know that? And so, but because of that physical power, or because of power in society, or because of money, more and more in our society, we think power is what has value. And so we're really starting to think about, actually, we tend to think that the masculine has more value. And a lot of societies, especially that's, that are patriarchal, they flat out think that the man or the masculine is superior over the feminine. And then in our society, because um, the women are told that there are equal, but they don't actually believe that they're equal in worth, like the Bible says, because we don't believe in the Bible anymore in our society. More and more women, goes, they grasp after equality, and so the, how are we going to get equality? We have to have equality of power. And so women are increasingly concerned that they have equality of power, and if they don't have, we don't have the same amount of power in, in, in this relationship. If I don't have the same power in the company, if I don't have the same power to get to, to be the general, then we're not really equal, and the Bible, there's no way the Bible believes that. The equality is in worth because of the most important thing about being human, which is that we reflect God. <laughs> That's the most important thing about being human. In fact, apart from that, we're really not human. If you're if you don't reflect God, then you're not really any different than a, a rat or a dog or an amoeba, quite frankly. But what makes human beings special is this, that we're like God. So that's one point I want to make. But the second point, one, absolute equality of worth, masculine and feminine. But let me talk about the second one. The second point is difference, the mystery of difference. And I think... There, there's all kinds of different places in the Bible that suggest a difference, but I want, to get, go to, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis 3, um, it's really deep. And it's, well, most people don't think about this in terms of how are we going to define what it means to be a man and what makes men special, their gift of masculinity versus the gift of femininity. And I think that that secret is given in chapter 3, and it's given in a funny place. 
It's given after Adam and Eve have sinned and disobeyed God. They've incurred curse. And I want you to go to verse 16, 316. So what happens is um, the world is falling, and then God lays out three curses. So, and I want to go over the two. The, the first curse is to the serpent, which is the devil. So the devil is, uh, is an angel, one of the highest of angels, and then God curses him, right? And then he, we give the promise, which is the first time he gives the gospel, which is there will be a seed that comes from Eve, and you will hurt his heel, but he will crush your head. That's the gospel. That's about Jesus, okay? But now I want us to go to verse 16, because then he doesn't just, he doesn't just curse humanity. He doesn't curse them. We, he's very specific. He curses the woman, and then he curses the man. It's very interesting. And, and let's go over this. And in this passage is, I think, an important secret of masculinity and femininity. Let me, let's go into this. Verse um, 16. To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That's the curse upon her. Now, some of you have heard this passage. Here's the thing, and I, I can't say everything about it, but here is God made the man first. And then he said, it is not good that he is alone. And then he looked at all the different creatures in the world, and he even had, he, he had, some, he had a sense of mastery over them because he could name them. And he had to... And in order to name them, he had to like learn something about them and then, and then figure out what's so special about this creature versus that creature, but yet there was none that would correspond to him. So why was the woman made, created by God? Here's why the woman was made and created by God. So that the man would not be alone. <laughs> what is the special gift and power of femininity from God into the world that the man needs, that's a gaping hole in man. It's relationship. That's what it is. She was born for relationship. She was made for the most deepest fundamental relationships there is. And that's why she's cursing them. The thing that makes the man and the woman is special is the place where God cursed us when we rebelled against him. That's the part. Most people see, oh, this is a bad thing that's happening. It is a bad thing that's happening. But here's the part that we don't pay attention to. The part that we don't pay attention to is the woman's power. <laughs> the woman's super gift. The thing that she's going to go to and say, this is what makes me special. Yeah, it is what makes you special. That's where you curse. This is what's broken in every woman, but it's also what's special in every woman. Now let's go to the next verse. Verse 17. And then to Adam God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Uh, you shall not eat, uh, uh, commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken for dust, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. What is the curse on the man? And I, here, let's use the same principle. He is cursed at the place which makes him special. He is cursed in his gift of masculinity. What is that? In, 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 a, in a generic way, it is his work. But it's not just work that men need to work, and I do believe that men need to work. When God placed Adam into the garden, he put him in a dominion over the creation. And it is a garden. What is a garden? I want you to t just think about this. What is a garden? A garden is not a jungle. Just Things just grow. A garden is something that is beautiful of creation, and yet order is put on it so that its beauty and its power can, you, you have to discover its beauty. You have to discover that 
this plant grows at this time. You have to discover that it, it produces this type of fruit. It, you have to discover that it gives this type of smell. You have to discover that wood is something you can build something with. And then out of the garden, you put order and you make something beautiful out of the creation. That's the man's special calling. The man's special calling and work is to subdue creation and then produce glory and beauty out of it. That is the man's, that's the masculine drive. So, you know, today, this is why you got the guy. You know, okay, this is, this, this is the, we have lots of guys like this in our city. I mean, this is Silicon Valley. You have a lot of men today, and they can't talk to a girl to save their life, <laughs> okay? Because they're terrible at relationships. And so, lady, if you, ladies, if you ever want to marry one of those guys, you need to help him on the relationship side, because that's why you were born. He's lonely, but he's profoundly lonely. And yet, what is he? He knows how to take bits and bites, and he knows something about math, and he knows something about programming, and he knows something about software and hardware, and then we get this glorious thing called the iPhone. I mean, are you kidding? So one of these kinds of lonely, you know, relationally dysfunctional guys, a guy named Steve Jobs, invented this thing, all right? And what is that? That's because he's a man. And that's the masculine gift. Now, let me say a little something about this. Um, um, I want to give you a little plug for this book. This is a, there's no one book. I, I gave you a book called Engendered by Sam Andriotti. So if you, if you wrestle with this subject, I think it's a great book. I, I actually am thinking maybe, I, I thought was, I was so impressed with the book that maybe sometime in the future we should have a book study on this and we should discuss it. He unpacks all the hardest issues. He really does. Okay, a lot of the hardest issues. Um, but he didn't say everything. He didn't say what I just said to you about Genesis 3. He didn't say that. And, um, and Kathy Keller, who is the wife of Timothy Keller, co-wrote this book on marriage, the meaning of marriage. And there's one particular chapter about gender, which is chapter 6, embracing the other. And this next point I, I got from this book. Now, uh, you know, quick plug, a wisdom here. Um, a lot of you, you get a book, and then you feel guilty because you don't read the whole book. Why? <laughs> If a book has one chapter that will really help you, buy the book for 10 bucks, 15 bucks, and if it's, that one chapter is worth $15 of wisdom, then chuck the rest. Who cares? <laughs> you don't want to read the whole book? Don't. Just read chapter six, written by Kathy Keller, and she, I thought she's fantastic, okay, in that chapter. Right? So, um, but let me tell you what she said. She says, that the masculine is a gift of independence and mastery over some portion of creation. That's why the man, he has to go out and say, I have, to, I have some power and some knowledge and wisdom and ability, and then I'm going to do this thing, and then this is, this is the thing that makes me manly. <laughs> some, something that puts some, uh, some mastery and beauty that brings the beauty out of the garden. <laughs> In fact, we, we, we're, men, are, they don't, we're, we, don't, we can't stop at gardens. We have to build cities. We have to build skyscrapers. We have to build intranets. Right? I mean, we're dreaming of a building, you know, space stations. This is the man. Hmm? And this is his gift. His, it's a gift of being independent and, and then putting and then doing this thing. But there are two characteristic sins. One is the sin, she calls it the sin of hypermasculinity. It's, I'm a man, and you guys know what I'm talking about. The guy who thinks... You know, if you're, you're, you're a serious muscle head or if you're the most brilliant person and you don't need anybody else. The alpha male who boasts of his strengths. I mean, anytime you watch a sporting event, you're, you're seeing hypermasculinity. Um, the guy who's tyrant, who's controlling, that's hypermasculine. We all know, and a lot of people, both men and women, were scared of this guy. And, this, and these are the ones that start wars and start fights. And they're the bullies. They're the bullies in the company. They're the bullies in the schoolyard. This is one way that it goes wrong. But there's another way it goes wrong. The other way that it goes wrong is a rejection of masculinity. Hmm. Just a rejection of masculinity. This is your gift into the world. And yet, I'm afraid of it. I'm not going to do it. And so it usually comes out into passivity. It's, it's casting off responsibility. 
So some of you go like, oh, I know you. I'm the girly guy. No, 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 no. Okay. How about the guy he thinks he's really masculine, but all he ever does is play video games and takes on utterly no responsibility? That's casting off masculinity. And then there's just cowardice. So those are, those are the, the two characteristic sins. Kathy Keller, I think, nails it there. And then on the other side, but what is the gift on the feminine side? And she says it is the gift of interdependence. Notice, interdependence is about relationship. It's about deepening the relationship. Women want to be interdependent. This is why as soon as girls get together, do you notice they talk and they self-reveal and then they get into each other and then they clash each other and then they hate each other and then they get all catty and they get all gossipy, okay? This is, like, this is why women, this, women will always be like this, okay? But that's, that's the sin aspect of like, they're using their gifts and then they bump into each other's sins and then, then, then they get catty, right? But um, men don't generally tend to do it. They're like, yo, dude. Okay, you know, and then if you don't like them, then you just punch them, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, or, 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 so it's, it's, you know, because you, tr- you don't even wait till the relationship happens. It's just like ego upon ego, and then we punch each other, okay? It's like, it's, that's, the, 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 that's the man way of doing it. But women, it's the gift of interdependence. And what are the two characteristic sins? Or So she, she talks about that there is a gift of receiving. Men want to just give and send, and then what I have to offer, and then what I have to, like, um, you know, this is what I can do, right? But women have a gift of receiving, receiving you, receiving you to the heart, receiving and making space. Take even something like just a home. Hey, guys, if you're married, it's her house. (laughs) And you know what? Because she will turn it into a home. It'll turn into a house, but she'll turn into a home, and the home is like her heart, where she receives you and the children. Women do that. You ever go to a house where just guys, there are guys? It's terrible. It stinks. <laughs> it's dirty. And there's like nothing in the right place. There's no flowers. There's no nice colors on the wall just because they don't care, okay? But there's computers. There's a big old TV, Right? I mean, just things like that. Why? Because this is the man being a man. But you, as soon as there's a woman, hmm, all of a sudden there's other things, and it starts becoming a home. And every woman does it somewhat differently. But it's just a gift of receiving. But here are the two characteristic sins. Right? The two characteristic sins are, are one, hyperfemininity, and she calls it clingy dependence. I call it being the princess. Right? Or there's an attachment, you know, the, the attachment which is like an idolatry. It's like, I don't, if I don't have a man, if I don't have a man, then I, I'm just like nothing. But like, so marriage becomes an idolatry. And so that's a kind of hyperfemininity, according to Kathy Keller. But how about the flip side? The flip side is a rejection of femininity. It's a rebellion against femininity. And... And I think it's summed up in this. It's, this. it's this deep, autonomous individuality. I'm just me. And I don't have to figure out how feminine I am. I'm just me. And I don't need anybody else. I think that's, that's a language I hear in women today. I don't need a man. I don't need anyone else. I don't need, see? <laughs> but you do. And as a woman, you need someone else to fulfill <laughs> that glorious thing that you have to be interdependent and relational. All right, that's a lot. Let me say part two. Let's go into um, gender and marriage. Ephesians chapter five. Finally, we're looking at our passage. Um, I want to say a couple things about this passage. Um, What is the most masculine way that he um, brings power into the creation? Is to die for his wife. That's what he does. A good husband, almost everything he does, will in one way or another, is to lay down and sacrificially offer something for his wife and his children, but especially to his wife. That's what it says in the passage. Love your wife. How? Like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He's almighty. He's powerful. He can strike us down and send us to hell. But that's not what he does. He forgives he washes. He suffers. That's, that's the masculine. <laughs> to love. 
So he's commanded love. Now, okay, doesn't every man love his wife? No. I would say no. Now, let me say it's historically. There's, I said this a couple, two weeks ago. Lots of men got married. Why? To have babies, because, you know, you're not much of a man if you don't have babies in a lot of different cultures. Sort of like, I don't really like women, whatever. She's really annoying. I don't get her. And so she's useful. There are men who like, uh, who married a wife, and I'm sorry to say this, ladies, but because they lusted after you. There are a lot of songs today where the man is saying, baby, baby, I love you, I love you, and I'm saying, no, 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 I lust you, I lust you. It's the wrong L word. I'll die without you, baby, because I love you. No, I'll die without you because I, I want you sexually. I lust after you. Right? That's not love. The Bible commands love. Love is an action. Love is not a feeling. And it is an action that is shaped and seen in the way Jesus does it. Sacrificial. Laying down. Humility. Gentleness. Patience. And you guys know that famous passage, love, love is patient, love is kind, love always hopes, all that stuff, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now let me say the other part though. Why, um, why is a man commanded to love his wife? Because she was born for a relationship, to love you in relationship. What, will, what does she long for? What does the woman need? <laughs> See, it isn't just a question of what is good for the man to do. It is what she needs. She was born and created for a relationship. What is the deepest fulfillment of relationship? To be loved on the other side. Huh. Okay, you, 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 you create the babies. Oh, you give me sex. Oh, you make, me, you make me food. Or you're just nice and you smell good. But will that fulfill her? For her to flourish, she must be loved. That is what a woman needs. She must be cherished. Now, but what about on the other side? If masculinity is, there's something in me, and I must subdue the earth, and then, and then bring out of it its potentiality and beauty, and then there's a power in this, then men deeply, deeply long for competence. They're lonely. So this is, this is just, ladies, I want you to say this to you. You look at a man, there's two things that a man wants in life. I'm just like, there's two things that a man wants. One, he deeply wants to be a competent man. There's something that he can do, that he can contribute into the world. He wants to do that well. He wants to be honored and respected and admired that he can do it well. And then there's a, another thing that he needs. He's lonely. He needs a special somebody to say you and what you offer to the world as a man, as a man, oh, that's worth something. It's, I respect that. I admire that. I need that. I appreciate that. And he needs, of course, the men always want the other men to say that to them, but it's not enough. In his loneliness, in his aloneness, he needs a very special voice. And this goes back to a few weeks ago, the covenant voice. He needs a very, very special voice. He needs the other side. He needs the other vision, the image of God to say, to complete him and say, oh, I respect you. I admire you. This is how you can love your husband. And if you say this, and so I know this sounds kind of strange, like I don't know how to respect him. I'm not sure. I just, this is weird. I don't really know how to do this. And I know. I know it's not easy. Um, let me just be like just straight about this. Ladies, if you've never known how to do respect your, your husband, just try, try this. If you actually feel respect for your husband or you, you, know, you have a sense of respect for you, just say it one day. Honey, I respect you. <laughs> I know that sounds like almost too direct and too straight, but just try it. Just, just try it. Just try it. I, I'm just, I dare you. Just try it. I bet you something amazing is going to happen. Or something weird is going to happen. Like something wild is going to happen. I've heard many stories like this. I just said, I didn't know what to do. So I just said, honey, I respect you. I couldn't believe his reaction. <laughs> what? You do? <laughs> Mostly I, you just, you're telling me all the things I do wrong. You actually respect me? 
Now let me say um, two pieces of advice. One first to the men. Practical advice. So first, the, the, biblical, the biblical point is you should be willing to die for your wife. Okay, will you take a bullet for your wife? But how about if you die to something inside of you? You're like, there's something about her that's really hard for me. And in order for me to really reach her, this, side, this part of me, man, I have to just break this part of me down. And it feels like a really important part of me. And this would have to die for me to really reach her. Do it. <laughs> if you have to break it down every day, and it hurts you every day, do it. You're taking up the cross just like Jesus. There's no greater man than Jesus. There's no greater masculinity than Jesus. Jesus never played football. Jesus didn't shoot a gun. Jesus didn't run a mile in four minutes. I don't know. Maybe he could have done all those things, all right? But he did die on his cross to love his bride. He took up his cross. It's the greatest masculinity there is. And let me give you a practical piece. That's the biblical. Now let me give you the practical. There is um, this wonderful book written uh, by Gary Chapman called uh, The Five Love Languages. So everybody's saying, I love her. I love her. But like, she doesn't get it. Okay. You know what? Because you're sending, you're transmitting love a certain way, but she doesn't receive that signal. Everybody has a signal of a way that they like to receive love. So Gary Chapman called this Five Love Languages. And so it's nice that he, you know, there may be more than five. Who knows? But he, he, he made it nicely into five. Five is good. All right? It's not too overwhelming. And the five are this. Um, you might want to write this down if you don't know this, okay? Words of affirmation. So, yeah, if you're like one of the quiet, silent types, learn how to talk, guys, and say good things to your wife. Words of affirmation. Quality time. Quality time doesn't mean you get to watch football and she's bored. <laughs> It's quality time according to what she considers quality time. Hmm? And so if she wants to watch romance comedy and you don't like romance comedy, you can die to yourself. <laughs> you can die to your action flick and you can die to your desire to watch a, a football and every couple weeks watch a romance comedy with your wife. Right? How about that? Right? Quality time because she will consider that quality time. Quality time. Acts of service, physical touch and affection, and gift giving. Now, here's the assignment I want to offer the men. Study your wife. Observe her very carefully. If she loves giving gifts, that probably means she has a gift giving language. If you, instead of going like, gosh, she spends way too much money. Oh, my goodness. She, she gives gifts to everybody. It's so annoying. You know what? You should go, ah, oh, mental note. Gift giving is her love language. Maybe you should a month out before her birthday. Or how about, it's not even her birthday. It's just, you know, her birthday's in November. It's the middle of July. There's no Mother's Day. There's no nothing. And you go, I'm going to go find her favorite flowers just because. So study your wife. Find out her top two, because she probably majors in one and minors in another. Figure out what her top two is. And if you've been married for a little while, and you don't know, you're like, I've been married for 10 years. I don't know what it is. Then you're an idiot. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're stupid. And so stop being stupid. Please repent. Okay? And so figure it out. <laughs> and then do it. Do it till you die. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Oh, I'm no good at gift giving. I'm no good at gift giving. Then die. Till you get good at it. I'm not kidding. If you do this, then your wife will go, oh my gosh, my husband loves me. And then she'll want to die for you. I'm not kidding. This is how it works. Ladies, your turn. Okay, I don't know how to, re I don't know how to respect him. I don't know how to respect him. Um, I, 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 I gave you one tip already. Just tell him you respect him if you actually do. Or if you go, I don't know if I really respect him, but I respect that he fixes the car. Okay, good. Why don't you say that? He takes the car for an oil change, and he knows how to do that. You don't ever have to worry about that. You're like, honey, I so admire that you take care of that, and you know how to handle that, because I just, oh, gosh, I just, I'd be lost about that. Say it. 
or write him a note or give him a gift for it, <laughs> all right? Or rub his back because he's a physical affection guy. So rub his back and while you're rubbing his back, you lean over and you whisper into his ear, when you, when you got the car fixed, that was manly. I love you. I admire you for it. Are you kidding? He'll, he'll, he'll like want to fix every car there is, okay? <laughs> well, let's get another car so I can fix that too, <laughs> okay? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not kidding. You know why? Because here, here is, I think, the practical thing. Ladies, if you think about this, I, I gave you the two things that men want to be. They want to be competent. And then they're lonely, so they want the person who fills their loneliness to tell them that they're competent. You know what? So, in every man for his wife... He wants to be her hero. He wants to be her hero. Build him up to be your hero. Everything that you admire, where he's even a, even a little bit heroic, <laughs> pump him up. It's like, do it. And then he'll find other things. He's like, oh, whoa, that was like a super duper reward. It's, it's like cake and ice cream <laughs> and candy. All in one, if you just say those words, that one thing that makes him feel like a hero. If you can make him feel like a hero, he'll take a bullet for you. That's it. I'm serious. It's, that's, it's really that simple. If you can figure out and make him like, feel like a hero, and I know that's harder than what the man has to figure out, right? I mean, look, ladies, guys are stupid in relationships. I just, just tell them bluntly, do this. Okay, ladies, you're, I don't know, we're, 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 you're, you're smarter. You are. And relationships, women are just a mile ahead of men. And that's why you, you don't need a man up here telling you how to, how to figure this out on relationship. Um, one word about this, and let me close. There's something that I hear a lot of women say. I don't need him to do this. I don't need him to do this. There are a lot of strong, capable women today. Heck, you might be smarter than your husband. You, 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 you may know how to fix a car better than your husband. I don't need him. That is the exact opposite of respect. <laughs> I don't need you. Do you actually say that? Do you think that? Is your attitude, I don't need you. So, comes into the house. You're better with the kids. So, everything about the way he does things inside the house is wrong. Everything about the way he interacts with other people at church is wrong. You know, not as good, because you can do it better. Now you know how to handle the taxes better. <laughs> Heck, you even know how to do the computer better. Maybe you even make more money than he does. <laughs> and so, is your attitude is like, man, I do everything and I don't need him. Is your heart, I don't need you. That is absolutely the opposite of I respect you. And, of course, he's not going to be much of a hero if you don't need him. How can anybody be a hero to somebody you don't need? He doesn't, yeah, I don't need you. Well, you don't need me. I can't be your hero. And if a man can't be your hero, he may give up. I want you to think about that. Think about, this is really strange. Both men and women, we both have to take less. Maybe we have to create less space so that she can be more of a woman. (laughs) Um, let me tell you a quick little story, and then I'll go to the final portion of my message. My wife's not very with computers. In fact, she's afraid of them. <laughs> and, um, and then she actually had a college education. And so when we were married, I thought, how can a person who graduated from Wellesley College, one of the top universities in the whole country, not know how to do Microsoft Word? <laughs> right? I, I, I thought this was just a failing on her part. Just come on, just, just get, take care of it. Just take care of it. Right? And every time she'd ask me a computer question, I would just get really irritated. And really, because I just thought, you do it. But then over time, I realized, why don't you just be more of a man? <laughs> Maybe she's afraid of the computer. So it's time to be a hero. <laughs> and I'm not really that good with computers. <laughs> And so it's actually one of the reasons why it's really irritating to me is because I'm actually not that confused. My wife is terrible. She's like in the D minus range, and I'm like in the C minus range. So she's asking a C minus guy to help her with computers. And so it's like it's hard for me. It's like it's work. It's annoying. (sighs) But, you know, I realize if I come to the rescue, my wife will feel loved. See? It's a weird thing. 
Um, so I don't know, just to give you a little, in, just, just a little window into our stupidities and we, where we're learning to grow. Let me close this message of fullness of divine love. I want you to go to a passage in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Oh, I've talked too much, so I can't spend too much time talking about this, which is too bad. But um, let me say what needs to be said. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. This, if you want to read the whole passage, it's a strange passage, but let's just talk about verse 3, okay? Verse 3. Pay attention to verse 3. It's profound. Who is God? God is an almighty being. He is an omniscient being. He is a glorious and beautiful being. But did you know that God is the most relational being there is? Did you know that? That Christianity teaches that this weird thing that we call the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, nobody else teaches this. Nobody else teaches that their God is not just relational. He is like relationship itself. He is communion. God is one God and he is communion. That in the Holy Trinity, there can be difference and yet equality. There can be an individuality and yet an absolute unity of communion. There's a deep oneness where you don't lose yourself. That's what we always think, that if I die to myself and then I, be, I make myself more like to my wife, I'm going to lose myself. If I die to myself and, and sacrificially give more and more to my husband, then I'm going to lose myself. Not true. Not true. Here's 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Here's what it says. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. So there's a man. <laughs> Who's his head? It's Jesus. So what does that mean? Jesus is the head role, which is like the masculine role. That's the husband role, right? So there it's saying Jesus is masculine. Now what's the next part? It says the head of a wife is her husband. So he's making commentary about gender here. The head of a wife is her husband. So now we can see there's the, the, there's, the head, there's the husband side, there's the wife side, and now we know which one's feminine and which one's masculine, right? Now here's the next part. This is interesting. The next part, and the head of Christ is God. So Christ is the head, the masculine manhood part, but now Christ has a head, which is the feminine part. That's weird. It's really weird to say this. Ladies, okay, men, you want to know what your ultimate manhood looks like? It's in Jesus. Ladies, you want to know what ultimate femininity looks like? It's in Jesus. In God, what does headship look like? What does masculinity look like? Kathy Keller puts it this way. It's sacrificial leadership. It's sacrificial leadership. What, is, what does, what does uh, divine femininity look like? It's sacrificial submission. It's sacrificial receptivity. That's what it looks like. And Jesus is both. And in the divine trinity, you have different and yet equal. Is Jesus in equal worth to the Father and to the Spirit? Absolutely. He's the same God. Same attributes. Omnipotent. <laughs> Omniscient. Eternal. All of these things. Is he any less God than the Father? No, absolutely. And yet he willingly chooses. He willingly says, let me respect you, Father. Let me admire you, Father. Let me submit to you, Father. Let me obey you, Father. Which is exactly the things in Ephesians chapter 5, woman is called to. 
And so, here it is, in the marriage itself, the divine glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where, the, where persons come together and are utterly equal, yet different and utterly one together. And in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, he is the sacrificial leader. And Jesus Christ, the sacrificial submitter and receiver. And so, if you're not sure how to do this, run to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. And say, make me more human like you. Make me more of a man like you. Make me more of a woman like you. I know it seems strange to say. Make me more feminine like you, Jesus for my husband, for my wife. And the world will take notice that the most beautiful God is seen in this world. Let's pray. Lord, increasingly, our society, we're casting off biblical wisdom and truth. And part of it is because we just don't see it. (laughs) We don't see God. And in one sense, you're invisible, God, so of course we can't see you. But we can see the image of you. And no man himself or woman herself can reflect the image of God enough by herself because masculinity and femininity by themselves is incomplete. And yet in a marriage, we can see that deep, profound Trinitarian union, something like it, which images it. And we can see the Christ-like masculinity and femininity. And I pray so that all our husbands and our future husbands would learn and grow in courageous, sacrificial leadership. And all our wives and all our future wives would grow in beautiful, yes, courageous, sacrificial submission and reception, interdependence, Lord. We need each other. And we're breaking each other. And we're breaking manhood and womanhood and breaking marriage. And we're just destroying ourselves in our, uh, in our city. And we're destroying our kids. And things are just so bad. But we pray that you'd have mercy on us and grace upon us. And you, your spirit, would take anything and everything that is truly of you in this message today. And you would put the deepest biblical wisdom in Christ-like manhood and womanhood into our marriages. And every marriage would flourish and shine with the fullness of the divine image so that our city would say, that marriage is beautiful. <laughs> wow, that's a man, that's, that's a different kind of man. Wow, she's beautiful. I didn't know that you could be strong and submissive to your husband. I didn't know that you could be strong and receptive like that to your husband and beautiful. And so we pray that this is what would be be seen and this would be offered to our city and all the families would flourish and you would be known and glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name.